Well, let us then turn now to the Word. We're looking this morning in our series in 2 Timothy at uh, chapter 3, and we've got to verses 10 to 17. You'll find it on page 996 in the church uh, Bibles. As you'll remember, uh, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to give him instructions on how to deal with all the difficulties and troubles that were facing Christianity in those days. The emperor was persecuting Christians. The apostle Paul himself was about to die. Timothy is facing great opposition from false teachers. And uh, in our last passage, we just looked at how the apostle Paul described all these people who were opposing Timothy. And now, as I put it in the title of the sermon, Paul is telling Timothy how to do it. He's saying, do it by the book, by the Word of God, and he's seeking to encourage Timothy. So let's hear then from God's Word, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 to 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. This is God's Word. Amen. You may go ahead and take a seat. I was uh, sitting on a panel of pastors on a platform at a conference for pastors. There were four of us or so, and the time had come for us to be asked questions live from the floor in this pastor's conference. One person asked what is, in many ways, the classic question to ask of preachers. What do you think is the greatest temptation that preachers face? The person next to me gave what is, I suppose, the classic answer to that classic question. Namely, pride. Uh, the, um, it came to me, to my turn to answer the question. I said something like this. You know, I think there's a lot to that. I think that's right. But if we 
delve into that a little bit more, I think for a preacher, there's a certain kind of species of pride. You have to think through as a preacher, not only what might be your holy motivations for doing what you do, but what might be your unholy motivations. And of course, as a preacher, you're standing in front of people. And at a human level, you want them to appreciate what you're saying. So I think, I said, the particular species of pride that faces a preacher is to be the teacher, the authority, the center of attention in terms of preaching. I was quite pleased by that answer. Proud, you might say. (laughs) But ever since I've been thinking about it, and I wonder whether I got it quite right. You know, there's an old story, uh, a mythical story, of the devil. And the devil is having a sale of all his favorite tools of temptation. And they're all priced. You know, there's lust, envy, jealousy, greed. But then to the other side, there's another tool of temptation which is particularly well used. And instead of having a price tag on it, it just has priceless. And the devil was asked, what is that tool of temptation? He says, ah, That's my favorite. It's discouragement. And I think certainly preachers often face discouragement. It can be overdone. The best statistics on how many pastors and preachers leave the ministry each year is far more encouraging than you might think. Apparently it's only about 1%, which is not that much. But nonetheless, there is something about working with spiritual things which are by their own nature not quantifiable that can lead you to discouragement. But of course, it's not just preachers, is it? Who among us has not felt spiritually discouraged? And perhaps that's where you are right now. You're wondering how you can go through another day training your children. How you can go through another day perhaps simply following Jesus. You feel discouraged. Well, here in this passage, I believe the Apostle Paul is aiming to encourage Timothy. Timothy, who must have felt deeply discouraged at this point, after the Apostle Paul had listed all the kinds of different people and their opposition and all the rest. But now he gives what I call four ways to defeat spiritual discouragement by the book. Four ways to defeat spiritual discouragement by the book. The first way is this. Be resolute. Be resolute. 
Now, where I got, got this from in the passage is really the structure of the passage. It's a little hidden in the English translation. And I don't often go into the Greek because I don't want to rob people who don't know the original language from the sense that the Bible is the Bible. But this case, I think it is important to see it. There is a structure to this passage that emphasizes this resolute peace that Paul wants Timothy to have. In verse 10 and then verse 14, Paul says in verse 10, you, however, and then in verse 14, he says, but as for you, you, however, and then in verse 14, but as for you, in Greek, they're exactly the same words. And indeed, in verse um, Five of chapter 4, the same words are translated as for you. Again, exactly the same words in Greek. So what Paul is doing is he's describing all this trouble that is facing the Christian church and that must have left Timothy discouraged. Paul, is it really that bad? Are people really like that? And then Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, But as for you, but as for you, it's a Churchillian call to be resolute, to never, never, never give up. But as for you, you see, I don't feel like Winston Churchill. It's all right for him. But you have to remember that every Paul was once a Saul, an opponent to the Christian church. And every great bishop, Timothy, was once, once timid, Timothy. And spiritual heroes are made, not born. And every spiritual hero was once a spiritual zero. You've got to receive, be resolute. You say, well, how do I... How do I do that? Well, then Paul says, and this is the second of these four ways to defeat spiritual discouragement by the book, Paul says, remember, and this goes from verses 10 to verse 13, remember. Paul wants Timothy to remember. This is all now in the past tense, this section. He moves from the past and then a little later into the future. This is now looking back. He wants Timothy to remember And he wants him to remember, in particular, two trajectories. To remember Paul's life and all that had happened to Paul, including his persecutions and sufferings. But he also wants him to remember the evil people, the imposters who go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, which is always the way it works. First you deceive others, and then if you're good at deceiving others, you become someone who can't tell the difference between a lie and the truth, and you end up deceiving yourself, and you don't know, deceiving, and then being deceived. Paul says, both those two trajectories, I want you to remember, Timothy. In other words, I put it like this. You need to remember your mentors... Paul, Christian heroes, those who have actually mentored you, you, those current and in the past. Remember your mentors, but also remember the monsters. 
how things can go bad. It's important to remember that, Timothy. Why? Because this is a serious game. And if you give up, it will have serious consequences. When we think of the monsters, we think of people like Hitler and Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin and all the horrendous things, not only that they did, but that in the end happened to them. The extreme, but then you also remember those who were deceived. I suppose the most famous instance of this is in the life of two of Billy Graham's friends from when Billy Graham started out in ministry. Billy Graham was one among three young men who were very gifted preachers. And of course, Billy Graham stayed faithful throughout all his life wonderfully. But there was another man called Templeton. And he, in the end, gave up his Christian faith. And he was interviewed at the end of his life when he was in his early, mid-80s, very sick at the time, very ill. And the interviewer at one point asked him this, what do you feel about Jesus? And Templeton began to weep and said, I miss him. I miss him. You don't want to go there. But then you've got to remember your mentors. And Paul uh, particularly tells Timothy to remember his own life, and for good reason. Um, particularly around uh, this place, Lystra, which is where Timothy was from. And Timothy would have either seen Paul's persecutions or at least heard of them. Let me give you a description of this persecution that Paul faced in Lystra from um, the one biographer of Paul, a man called John Pollock, who wrote A Life of Paul. He, He put it like this. Let me just read it out to you. You get a sense of what Timothy would have seen or at least heard of. The mood of the crowd changed from worship to fury. A youth picked up a stone, took aim, and with a vicious flick caught Paul full face. In a moment before Barnabas or his friends could protect him, he was under a shower of stones on his jaw, the pit of his stomach, his groin, his chest, his temple. He fell stark and stiff, blood streaming from his nose and eyes. The crowd dragged the body out of the city and melted quickly away before the Roman guards at the gate could identify individual murderers. Converts who had watched, appalled at the sudden assault, formed a ring around the body, shocked and uncertain. Paul stirred with every muscle and nerve seared, head throbbing, stomach retching. He forced himself to stand. Of course, it isn't just the Apostle Paul. Those who follow in his footsteps have experienced persecutions and sufferings. Indeed, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Timothy. You know, there are only two ways to avoid suffering and persecution as a Christian. One way is not to live a godly life yourself. 
One way is to be ungodly yourself. The only other way is not to be near the ungodly themselves. But Christ calls us to be on mission as individuals and as a church, to be in the world and not of the world. And that's the call of the cross. Remember. So you've got to be resolute. You've got to remember. You say, well, how do I remember? Let me give you five ways to remember. Schedule. Schedule a time. You've got to find the time. Schedule. Focus. Put away the phone. Put away distractions. Focus. Bring to your mind the facts. Actual fact. The facts. Why? Because discouragement lives in the shadows. What are the facts? Look at the suffering. Don't, don't be scared to look at the suffering. For it is real. And you need reality to stand strong. And then sovereignty. How God and his sovereignty brought good out of Paul's sufferings and rescued him and used him. And so remember. Well, the third of these... Uh, Tools, these ways to defeat spiritual discouragement by the book is not only to remember but also to remain. And this is verses 14 and 15. Having looked at the past, he's now looking at the present. And the word that Paul uses there in our translation is continue, but it doesn't have the sense of just kind of continue on. It means remain, stick at it, don't give up. Remain at your post, Timothy. I put you in Ephesus. Remain there. Remain with your marriage. Remain at your job. Remain as a Christian. Remain. Continue. Stick at it. Don't give up. And he calls on him to remain uh, for three reasons. He tells him, first of all, because of the character of those who have taught you. And I think Paul is almost certainly referring to Timothy's mother and grandmother that he uh, described earlier in the letter. You, you know them, Timothy. You know those who taught you in Sunday school. You know the character of your parents. You know the character of your grandparents. Don't let someone temptation fool you. You know those people. The character of those who taught you, but also the length of time you've known it. This is one of the many, many reasons that we as a church teach our children the Bible, because the children are able to come to Jesus and able to learn the Bible. And if they have those kind of deep roots, then when they get older and face a moment of discouragement, they can say to themselves, I've known this throughout my life. Why doubt it now? How from infancy? You've learned the Holy Scriptures. So the length of uh, time you've learned it. But then also the effect of it. How the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. In other words, the aim of the Scriptures is not to teach you every part of science. Paul does not say the Scripture is able to make you wise for science. The aim of the Scriptures is to make you wise for salvation. 
And of course, that's the whole game. And if you doubt me, you just need to visit someone on their deathbed. And I guarantee you that the most important question in the entire universe is salvation question. You don't want to give up on that. That's why you should uh, remain, Timothy. Charles Spurgeon, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who originally said this, though it's become a well-known saying, but I think it was Spurgeon who first said it, but I may be wrong. Maybe Spurgeon got it from someone else, I don't know. But there's a saying which goes like this, without a test, there is no testimony. Without a trial, there is no triumph. And it is often out of the mess that a message is given to you. Remain. Thomas Edison, the great American inventor, was uh, renowned for his stickability. And at one point he said, our greatest difficulty is that we give up. And the greatest, the greatest source of our strength and the means to success is one more time. Remain. So you've got to remain. You can't win any spiritual battles unless you fight some spiritual battles. And I don't know what's going on in your life. And there have been times in my life when I have been sorely tempted to give up. I remember, this is many years ago, I I remember one man in the church I was pastoring at that time. This is not Cottage Church, another church. It was a very snowy day. And most people had taken the day off work and I had gone into the office And he called up to find out whether I was in the office, and I said, yes. And he said, can I come and see you? And I said, yes, of course. And uh, this man came into my office, and I knew he was upset about something. There was a decision that the elders had made that he was upset about. And I uh, was ready for whatever he was going to say. His work had been canceled because it had been a snowy day. And so he walked into my office, sat down across the desk from me, looked to me in the face and said, well, I've got nothing else to do today because my work has been cancelled because it's snowing, so I've come in to ask you to resign. I said, you're kidding, right? I mean, that's a joke, isn't it? He said, no. Um, That was almost 20 years ago, so I guess he has his answer now. The things I wanted to say at that moment were definitely not what Paul would have advised Timothy to have said. (laughs) And so I said nothing, following the old mother's advice. If you don't have anything nice to say, say nothing at all. And now it's funny. But at the time, I was a young man. 
He was pushing 60. And I don't know what you're going through or whether you're going to face something in the future, but Paul is saying, I believe from God's word to you, you've got to stick with Jesus. As Thomas Edison put it, one more time, one more day, remain. And then finally, the final way to defeat um, spiritual uh, discouragement is to rely, and of course rely on the Scriptures, defeat spiritual discouragement by the book. Rely on the Scriptures, and this is verses 16 and 17, these famous words, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You've got to rely on the Scriptures. There's no other book like the Bible. So when you get discouraged, grab that book and read it and rely upon it. Let me put it like this. When you know your eternal position in Christ, you can withstand any external opposition in the world. Of course, the book that underlines that for you is the book the Bible. Why? Paul gives Timothy three reasons to rely on the book. One, it's authority. He says it is breathed out by God. This is the doctrine of the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Every word of the Bible is breathed out by God. Now, unlike other religions, or should I say religions, for Christianity truly is not a religion. It is a revelation by grace, not by works. Unlike, for instance, Islam, we do not believe that Scriptures kind of landed from heaven. No, there are human authors of the Bible, and you can detect their human personalities. But we believe, so it's not by dictation but is the verbal, plenary, full inspiration of Scripture, God's Word, breathed out through the personalities of the human authors of Scripture. It's authority. That is, the author of the book is ultimately God Himself. He breathed it out. It's authority. But then also, Paul says, second reason to rely on Scripture, is practicality. It is profitable or useful for correcting and training, reproof, for training in righteousness, for teaching. It is useful. It is practical. And one of the greatest witnesses, I think, to the truth of Scripture is its practicality. You just grab the Bible and you read it. You, you, you go there with a humble heart. And you just find that God is speaking to you. It's practical. It's practicality. And then uh, the other reason that Paul gives for us to rely upon the Scriptures is its sufficiency. It's competent to equip you. Man of God, that is, the phrase man of God is a phrase drawn from the Old Testament of all the prophets and messengers of God. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you're a man of God. You're a messenger of God. It's competent to equip you, man of God, 
for every good work. It is sufficient. How often this has been proved down through history and how easy it is for us to only give theoretical allegiance to Scripture rather than to actually rely on Scripture. I like the story of the deacons meeting in some Baptist church. It may be apocryphal, I don't know, but the deacons meeting in the Baptist church where some man was trying to get something to happen and he was arguing for it based upon what was taught in the Bible. And At some point, a, a deacon in the meeting stood up and said very loudly, I don't care whether it's in the Bible, it ain't Baptist and we ain't doing it. We must give more than merely theoretical allegiance to Scripture and allow God's Word to change our mind on things. All of us, preachers, pastors, members, deacons, elders, we've all got to be under the Word. And when we are, it is such a source of strength. Bishop um, Hooper John Hooper, who was one of the English reformers. Uh, He was born in 1495, and he was martyred in 1555 under the reign of Queen Mary in England. He was burnt at the stake. And once uh, Bishop Hooper had heard his sentence... He asked for a day of quiet in his prison cell to pray. And tradition has it that at some point or towards the end of that day of quiet in prayer, he found a piece of charcoal. Prisons in those days were very basic affairs. He found a piece of charcoal and he wrote on the wall the following poem. Here it is. Content thyself with patience, with Christ to bear the cup of pain, who can and will thee recompense a thousandfold with joys again. Let nothing cause thy heart to fail. Launch out thy boat, hoist up the sail, put from the shore, And be thou sure that thou shalt attain unto the port that shall remain forevermore. Fear not death, pass not for bands. I'm not sure what he meant by bands, but in those days when people were burned to the stake, they put put, um, iron bands around them to hold them to the stake. And I think he's saying, you don't need to be held there. Fear not death, pass not for bands, only in God put thy whole trust, for he will require thy blood at their hands. And thou didst know that once die, thou must, only for that, thy life if thou give. Death is no death, but ever for to live, do not despair. Of no worldly tyrant be thou in dread. Thy compass, which is God's 
word. Shall thee lead, and the wind is fair. You say, well, how, how do I rely on Scripture? Here are five tools to help you to do that. Number one, read it slowly. We can rush through the Bible, think we've heard it all before, think we know it, think it's simple, think it's easy. Read it slowly. Number two, read it only. I'm all for, obviously, sermons and commentaries and study Bibles and all these resources that we have these days, but, but read it only. First of all, go to the book. Don't tell me what some other person says. Tell me what it says. Read it only, first of all. Read it daily. You know, eating food once a week would not be a very good idea. And reading the Bible just once a week isn't a very good idea either. Read it daily. Read it prayerfully. This is a spiritual act. Before you read the Bible, ask the living God to speak. Speak, Lord. Thy servant heareth. Read it prayerfully. And then read it believingly. Oh, you may have questions about the Bible. I've got questions about the Bible. You may have things you don't understand. There are things I don't understand. There always will be things I don't understand about God, for He is God and I am not. But read it believingly, trusting God for the things you don't understand based upon Him who you know and what you do understand. Read it believingly. So four ways to defeat spiritual discouragement by the book. Here they are. Be resolute. Remember your mentors and the monsters. Remain and then rely on the book. You know, we so often think that suffering, difficulties, persecution, hassles are a sign that God has forgotten us. But persecution, Paul was saying to Timothy, persecution is not a sign that God has forgotten you. No, it is a sign that God has forgiven you. For you are following the way of the cross. Let me uh, leave you with this. I've mentioned C.H. Uh, Spurgeon one time already, but Charles Spurgeon, a great hero figure, of course, a great preacher, there was one time when he was facing enormous opposition. It was called the downgrade controversy. Charles Spurgeon, and history has proved him right, detected that the denomination that he was a part of at the time was losing its way in terms of what it was teaching. And he was Speaking against that, and indeed led his church in the end out of that denomination. And uh, he was at his home, a place called Westwood. And a friend of his went to come and visit him in the midst of this crisis. The friend was called A.G. Brown. And Brown has recorded for us what he found when he visited the great Spurgeon. He goes in. He finds Spurgeon at his desk. 
And there are what, call, what Brown calls shoals of letters. That is, stacks of letters, mountains of letters. No email, of course, then. Post after post, mail after mail of letters that Spurgeon was opening one after the other. And they were all criticizing, complaining. Spurgeon also had a college for pastors. And many of these letters were not only speaking against him, they were also withdrawing financial support for the college. Two, Brown says, the tune sometimes of hundreds of pounds, which then would have been, I don't know exactly, but at least tens of thousands of pounds, if not more. Letter after letter, yet another one, yet another one. You know what Spurgeon said to Brown? Brown, he said, let my reputation go to the dogs. Only let Christ's truth remain. And that is the attitude Paul wants Timothy to have. Oh, Lord God, we do pray that you would help us to be these people of resolute conviction around your word. That you would give us courage and strength at home, at work, as we live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.